Welcome to the Papa Cast on the links. Now here's your host, Bob Papa. Welcome to another edition of the Papa Cast, the Golf Cast. We're with 1995 U.S. Open champion Corey Pavin, who takes a couple minutes to join us here on the show. And Corey, first of all, welcome to the program. Yeah, it's nice to be on the Papa Cast. I like that. That sounds good. Yeah, the Papa Cast Golf Cast. It's worldwide, and uh, you know people could just download it, and that's what kind of makes this format fun. We'll get into the U.S. Open and winning in 1995, the defining win of your career. But I want to go back to you as a kid growing up in California. And um, Oxnard, California is where you were born. Played your college golf at UCLA. What were some of the things that first really attracted you to this game and and developed a passion within you to eventually pursue it as a career? Yeah, you know, I... You know, I started, uh, my parents were members of a little small country club, and I have two older brothers. So I kind of tagged along with them at the golf course, and that's how I, I started playing in the first place. You know, and I just had a passion for playing golf. I liked it a lot. You know, I'd, I would have rather have been a basketball player, but uh, I don't think the, the genes didn't allow me to do that. Uh, had a little, uh, a vertic- I'm vertically challenged in that, that regard. But um, so I ended up playing golf, and I enjoyed it. I, I competed as a junior golfer. Uh, I enjoyed kind of the the solitary uh, practicing, and, and I really enjoyed that a lot. And and kind of the own my own uh, you know personal goals of trying to accomplish something and, and be good at it. Uh, and it was all it was just about how I did it. It wasn't about a team situation. It wasn't about relying on anybody else. And I really liked that uh, part of golf a lot. Taking ownership for whatever happens, it's on you. Um, as a kid growing up, when did you? first realized that you had a unique talent because you do have a special talent to do what you've done in your career, but where you started to think, you know what, I can compete and compete at a pretty high level here as an amateur. Yeah, you know, I, I, as I said, I played a lot of junior golf, and when I was 11 and under, I was pretty competitive in that age group. And then from 12 to 16, I just it just didn't work as well for me. You know, I was getting better, especially when I was 15 or 16, and I was getting frustrated. Uh, when I was 17, I played really well. I kind of broke out as a junior golfer and won the junior world, uh, semifinalist in the, in the, um, U S junior amateur. Uh, and I went to UCLA and I had a tough first year. I thought I was pretty good, you know, with all the stuff I did as a junior golfer, went to college and I was getting clobbered my freshman year. Uh, and something happened when I started my sophomore year, I won the first tournament we played and I ended up winning six tournaments. And after that year of college, then I really felt there was a realistic chance of being a professional golfer. Before that, it was just a dream. Uh, but when I was able to compete on a collegiate level, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I can do this. I had taken that next step and uh, still had a long way to go. But, but that was the first time it, I really thought it was within reach. You know, um, talking about college golf, it's interesting because you won those six individual events. And, and we talk with guys that have won individual national championships, the individual NCAA. But they always focus on the one that got away from them from a team standpoint. Uh, the team is really the thing when it comes to college golf, isn't it? It, it is. And, you know, I was just going to say that before you said it is, uh, you know, we never won a, a, you know, the national championship. And we had some really good teams when I was there. Uh, we were ranked one and two my sophomore and senior years you know, all, all year long, but the best we could ever muster was a sixth, sixth place finish. So that was frustrating, and you know you get four chances at it. That's it, uh, and some get less less than that. Uh, so that was a little frustrating in itself. But you know there was a lot of good teams, and, and we just didn't put it together at nationals. And uh, I wish we had done that, but 
you know, that's the way it goes. You guys were loaded too, right? I mean, you had some guys that everybody knows were teammates. Yeah, we had some good teams. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of guys in a, at about a four or five year period that are that had really good careers on tour, but we didn't necessarily have everybody firing on all cylinders in that group uh, at the same time in college. So, uh, you know, Jay Delsing, uh, Tom Pernice, Steve Pate, Duffy Waldorf, uh, we were all on the team at the same time. But, you know, I redshirted one year and, you know, things just didn't all come together in that regard. So the guys we had going to nationals are probably aren't aren't the guys you think that were at nationals for us. So you here you are, you're sitting there and uh, playing college golf competitive. How much did you draw on that experience as you played in your three Ryder Cups? Because you were on victorious teams in the Ryder Cup, winning teams on the President's Cup. Is that the only time you kind of get a chance to get that feel again for what you had in college as far as being a teammate? Yeah, it kind of is, really. You know, um, uh, between college golf and my first Ryder Cup in 91, there was no team events for me. Um, so it, it it is hard. You know, it, we had the our better ball tournament we played, uh, but that was about it. You know, you have a partner. You don't have a team that you're playing for. Uh, but I enjoyed the Ryder Cup a lot. I I. I mean, enjoy it is, is too too small a word. You know, it was it was the best in golf for me. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I liked the team part of the competition. Uh, I love the match play. I love representing the United States of America. You know, all that stuff's fantastic. Uh, I've never been so nervous and felt so much pressure as I have in a Ryder Cup, and that's you know a hundredfold compared to anything I've ever done. Is it tough being a captain of the Ryder Cup? I mean, in the sense that you don't you don't pull a, you don't pull a club. I mean, all you could do is try to set it up, but it comes down to who makes putts, who doesn't. I always think about Bill Parcells and all the success that he had. But if you think about the last game he ever coached in the NFL, and you think about training camp, and you think about the off-season workout program, and the last game he coached was in the playoffs with the Cowboys when Tony Romo failed to hold a snap on a kick against Seattle. Against Seattle. Right. And it and it's all that preparation, all that other stuff, and it's completely out of your control. Yeah, it, it, that's the tricky part. Uh, as as captain, uh, I had to come to terms with that very early that I would not be hitting a shot. I cannot control that aspect of the Ryder Cup. Uh, so I came. I, I understood that very early on, and and I knew my job was to make sure I could do everything I could for the players to be ready to play. Uh, and that was my preparation. That was my my playing of the Ryder Cup, so to speak. So that's where I focused on, and I just wanted to make sure the guys had every opportunity to practice, to be ready, uh, leave no stones unturned for what I could control. And I can only control what I can control. Uh, I could talk to him on the course. Uh, I can do that, but I, I can't hit shots. And I didn't. I really did not miss hitting shots. I wasn't sitting there, sitting there saying, gosh, if only I could hit a putt or I could hit a chip or, or a shot. I, I didn't think that way at all, all week. Uh, I knew it was something that, that I couldn't do anything about uh, except for prepare and, and let them prepare the best they can. So I was pretty good about that, I, I, I think. When you think about the U.S. Ryder Cup situation and this quest to kind of get it right and get back on the winning side when the United States had been so dominant for so long, what do you see as some of the missing ingredients, or is it just cyclical? I mean, the the game is so much more global, and there's so many more great players from all over the world that it's just a cyclical component of it. Yeah, you know, I think there's something to that uh, uh, of, of different cycles. But what I think is really happening, uh, absolute bottom line, is Europe is pretty good. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> it's not a big secret. I mean, they've gotten better and better and better. And 
the teams are extremely evenly matched, I think. So, um, you know, it just comes down to maybe one shot, one good break, maybe one putt, you know, goes in instead of lipping out, that type of thing. I mean, the matches have been so close. There have been one-point matches, it seems like, a lot of them in the last 15, 20 years. Um, you know, I, I think it's hard for Americans to sit there and say, you know, we're not dominant anymore. Uh, and we're not. I mean, if you look at the world rankings, you look at every stats, all that stuff, uh, the teams are pretty equal. Uh, there's not much separating Europe from the U.S. and Euro- U.S. from the Europe. Uh, and I think the captains have all done a great job. Uh, the players have to play. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a great thing for a captain to say, you know, the players have to do it. We can do what we can do. And uh, once the gun goes off, uh, the players on the team have got to perform and they've got to come through in the clutch. So that shifts me back to something you mentioned earlier about you can't make a shot. You're a masterful shot maker. Obviously, you mentioned you weren't big enough to play professional basketball. You knew where your size limitations were or a safety in the NFL. And I'm sure you gave up a lot of distance a lot of the times in your career. Where does that innate ability to create shots come from? Because you have been a guy that has been able to master it and do whatever you want with the golf ball. Well, you know, I obviously, you know, not, not driving the ball far. Uh, I always hit it straight, which is which is helpful. So I'm in the fairway a lot. Uh, but the shots I had were longer than other people's shots. So I had to find a way to get the ball up onto the green and hopefully close to the hole. Uh, I grew up on a golf course that is actually a pretty short course that had dog legs. Almost every hole is a dog leg at about 220 off the tee. So I learned to curve it around the corners uh, off the tee, and that just led to naturally to curve my irons as well. Uh, and I think that's where I learned. I just learned because of where I played golf. I, I think if I played on a golf course at a lot of straight holes or longer holes, I probably would have found a way to hit it longer, I suppose, but I didn't need to where I grew up, and that's just the way my game developed. Uh, and and being a short hitter, you know, you just have to find ways to get the ball in the hole. And I was always a good chipper and putter. Maybe it's a product of not hitting it far. Maybe it's just because I was blessed with it. Uh, and that's where I tried to score. I tried to work my game to my strengths and stay away from my weaknesses, uh, try to get my weaknesses better, uh, but always work to my strengths and, and not try to play uh, outside of my ability. That That's a very important thing for me. I learned that pretty early, that I'm not going to hit it far, even though I tried to hit it far. And I realized as I tried to hit it further, my game got worse and worse. Uh, so I just played within my own abilities. And if I'm 20 yards, 30 yards behind somebody else, so be it. You know, I'll find another way to get the ball up there and try to beat that player. And two wins at Colonial, right? two wins in LA shot making golf courses you know you turn pro and uh you win the German Open and you beat a really good field um what was that like trying to close out your first win as a professional well Germany was actually my second win oh, you South Africa right South, South Africa came before that uh and I beat Nick Price who was a young Nick Price at the time a really good player internationally uh not as good a player as he was to be um, and then Germany came along, um, and Sevi Bayersteros was the gentleman that finished second. I was playing in the group in front of him, so we weren't head-to-head going against each other in that respect. Uh, but I played well. It, it was a lot of work. You know, uh, you know, back then it was more, you know, I didn't hit it really as well then as I do, it ne- do now. So it was a bit of a grind to try to get the ball, you know, somewhere up there and, and try to score and win this tournament. 
Uh, you know, probably if the if the tournament went another 18 holes, I may not have won. Uh, but I just tried to do whatever I could to get it in, and and it was fun. You know, I played the last hole as a par five, and I I just needed to make a par to win. I think I ended up winning by two, uh, and it was kind of fun to have a par five that that you know he couldn't reach. I knew so eagle was kind of out of the question for him, and I made the par, and it was a really nice feeling to win in Europe, but to beat a guy like Seve Ballesteros, that was 1984. Uh, I don't know if he was one in the world or he was close. Uh, and that was a, a big boost uh, for my confidence back then. Then you go to Houston, you win your first PGA Tour event in Houston, and you win consistently. I mean, every year there's wins on the table. At what point do you start getting where now you want to take it to that next level and close out a major and win one? Yeah, it, it's uh, yeah. Majors are interesting, you know. '84 is my first year on on the PGA Tour, and and as you said, I won tournaments. I won in '84, five, six, seven, and eight. Uh, failed to do so in '89 and '90, and then then kind of came out of it and played really well after that. Uh, and I'd won 13 tournaments before I got to the U.S. Open in '95. And you know, I was that guy, that guy that had that label of of best player to never won a major. And it's not so much that the label bothered me from other people saying it. It was inside of me. You know, I wanted to win a major championship badly. I've, I'd been in contention a few times. I uh, hadn't, hadn't finished it. It wasn't because, you know, I messed up. It was because other guys just beat me. And that's okay. I can live with that. But I wanted a major championship very badly. And, and, uh, um, and it's a personal thing. So, you know, when I did win at Shinnecock, uh, it was kind of a, you know, a relief in a way personally you know it wasn't a matter of the media getting off my back or anything I didn't care about that so much but it was a personal thing that I wanted to grab a major at least because um, I felt like I was good enough to win a major championship at that point you win in a storied venue like Shinnecock it's the U.S. Open based on your amateur play um, can you put into words what it's like to have that on your resume it's hard to uh, because, you know, when I turned pro, I never even thought about major championships. I, was, I wasn't even thinking about winning on the PGA Tour. I was just thinking about trying to keep my card and, and just see what I could do. Uh, and, and to have won early and then keep winning, uh, you know, you change your goals as you go along. Um, you know, as, as the years went on and I was winning tournaments, it was, you know, make Ryder Cup teams, you know, you know major championships, you know, contend. Uh, get myself in position. It wasn't so much about winning even. It was just get there and see what happens. Uh, but then at some point it became, I need to win one of these things. You know, I would like to win one of these things. You know, if I never did, it'd be okay. Because if you take away the U.S. Open, uh, my career exceeds all my expectations of when I started uh, playing as well. But it is nice to have it in there. It's nice to have won the National Open uh, in the United States. Um, it's a hard tournament to win. Uh, it requires a tremendous amount of patience, uh, a lot of very good thinking on the golf course, and obviously some really good play. Uh, but you have to have those other components, uh, and patience is probably the biggest one of them. So you start the day three shots back, final round on Sunday. Um, do you put a number on, in your head of, I gotta, I got to shoot this if I want to give myself a realistic chance, or is that dangerous in a U.S. Open, especially at a place like Shinnecock? Yeah, I did not have a number in, in mind. My number was to pass four guys because that's who was in front of me, four people. Uh, I knew there was a bit of a gap, uh, you know, stroke-wise. 
but that's not as big a deal in major championships. Uh, it's a matter of just passing the guys in front of you. I mean, you can have, we've seen it, seven, eight-shot leads go away. Um, so it's, it, was, it was a matter of just passing the four gentlemen in front of me. Uh, and, you know, I was really relaxed. You know, the, the media had left me alone all week. Uh, even though I had lost a playoff the week before, nobody even talked to me all week. So it was kind of nice. It was peaceful. It was quiet. Uh, I didn't have the pressure of, of people asking me a bunch of questions. Uh, not that the media is a bad thing, but it was nice to have the, the quietness of it. And, you know, I woke up Sunday and it was Father's Day and I was very relaxed. You know, nobody was expecting me to win. Nobody was talking about me winning. Um, you know, I thought I had a chance for sure if, with a good round. But I had to play a good round. I didn't have a number in mind. I just wanted to go out and play well and just kind of see how the day was going. Um, and, you know, I bogeyed three and fell a little further behind. And then I birdied nine uh, to get back to even for the day. And the other guys were starting to come back. And I birdied 12. Uh, I think when I birdied 12, I was tied for the lead. And then I got to 15, and I had about a 12-foot birdie putt, and I made it. And then I was in the lead for the first time uh, in, that week. And I got a little nervous, I must say, after that. Uh, I was pretty calm, but then when I saw my name on top of the leaderboard, I said, you know, this is my tournament. You know, I have it in my palm, my hand now. Uh, and I played the last three holes well. Uh, I was very pleased with the way I played the last three holes. Um, you know, Greg Norman was the closest to me, and when I finished, I had a one-shot lead, and Greg bogeyed 17, uh, which put him two back, so he had to hold it from the middle of the fairway, which... You know, all the things that have happened to Greg over the years, I figured, you know, maybe it was his turn to hole one from the fairway. Uh, but he didn't, and, and I ended up winning. And, you know, it was it was very satisfying uh, to win that tournament. Uh, you know, I, I, I was, I wouldn't say I was elated. I was just, I was just very comfortable that I'd won it. And, and just, uh, you know, like I said, it was kind of like a big exhale for me. Do you find it weird when guys say when they're in contention on Sunday that they don't want to look at the leaderboard? I mean, if you're in a football game, you know what the score is, the down, the distance, the clock, basketball, hockey, same thing. What do you think, guy? I mean, do you find when guys say that it, it's odd? Yeah, I don't understand it personally. I know there's guys that say it, and uh, they feel like they can play better if they don't know where they are in the tournament and they just play their own game. I get that aspect of it, of just playing and not worrying about it. But at some point, you know, if you're playing the last hole and you know you need to make a par to win, uh, why would you try to be aggressive and make a birdie? You know, you just need a par. So I don't get it personally because I want to know exactly where I stand at all times. I, I want to know what I need to do, you know, if I need to be aggressive, if I need to take a chance, uh, or if I need to be conservative. I, I want to know that. I want to know where I stand and what I need to do on the golf course. There are shots that get replayed over and over again in major championship history, and uh, you have one of them. I mean, your four-wood at 18 that you hit at Shinnecock in the 95 United States Open is one that gets replayed over and over again. Take me through visualization and take me through that shot, and look, you execute it because you're a top golfer, but talk about the mental part of that and... Did it play out exactly the way you envisioned it, visualized it, and something that you had worked on countless times? Well, you know, the situation was dictated what I wanted to do uh, on 18. You know, I, I hit a drive there. I just wanted to hit in the fairway, uh, and I cut it up against the wind, so it didn't go very far. So I had a long shot in. Um, and the process, 
at that point for me was I felt like if I made a par, I was going to win uh, or have a 95% chance of winning. So that was my focus, first of all. And then I worked backwards. So I don't want to sit out there thinking, if I make a par, I'm going to win. I want to be out there thinking, okay, this is I do need to make a par, but now let's go backwards and, and execute the shot that I need to hit. So, you know, when we got to the ball, you know, I, I Eric gave me the number uh, that we had, the yardage, and I asked him if I can get a two iron there, and he said no, which is a beautiful answer from your caddy. It was very decisive. Uh, there was no question there. Uh, I said, then you think it's a four wood, and he said yes, absolutely. So that was done. You know, that's a mental side that, that there's no indecision in my head. Uh, I've completely committed to hitting a forward. Uh, the other good thing I had in my favor is on Friday I had the exact same shot, uh, and I hit a very good shot on Friday as well. So I had a good picture in my mind of, of what I wanted to do, but I'd actually done it two days before as well. Um, so the next part for me was to not hit the shot until I'm absolutely ready. Um, if that meant taking five minutes to hit the shot, it was going to take five minutes to hit the shot. You know, I didn't want to get up there and have any, any thoughts of, of, you know, hitting it sideways or whatever. So, uh, my swing thought for the week was take it inside and have good rhythm. That was my whole thought all week. Um, so I just took my practice swings and I thought inside, good rhythm, inside, good rhythm. So I kind of felt it in my arms. I felt it in my body until I said, okay, I'm ready. And I just got up and set the club down and just took it inside, good rhythm. The second I hit it, I knew it was good. I knew immediately that it was exactly what I wanted. And, uh, you know, that was when I ran up the hill to go look at it, and I saw it land and bounce up and, and get really close to the hole. And uh, first time I showed emotion all day, uh, you know, I raised my arms, and uh, it, was, it, was, it seemed appropriate time to raise my arms because it, it, was, it was a key shot. Uh, at as an extremely important time. Did you think that if you make the putt that you slam the door on the field? And when you didn't make the putt, did you think, mm, I might have left the door open for somebody? Yeah, I, I, I really felt strongly that uh, if I knock that putt in, I'm going to win. Uh, I felt there was no doubt about it. And I also felt if I didn't make it, I was very, very likely going to win as well. Uh, you know, Greg was still on 16. He had 16, 17, and 18. He was one back. 16 was a... a somewhat gettable par five it was into the wind playing very difficult uh 17 was impossible to birdie and 18 was pretty tough to birdie as well so you know i felt pretty comfortable i didn't want to miss it obviously and it was the only putt i missed all week inside of 10 feet and and i did the classic classic golfer thing i looked up before i hit it because i wanted to see it go in and and i missed the putt and the one foot putt coming back straight down the hill was was pretty nervy actually um you know it was a very quick putt and, you know, I'm now I've missed it and I'm a little, you know, I wouldn't say rattled, but I'm you know, maybe a little rattled uh, and I'm nervous, you know, I'm shaking a little bit. And, you know, I shook it in. And, uh, you know, as I said, fortunately uh, for me, you know, Greg bogeyed 17 and I ended up winning by two. We talk about your shot making abilities um, outside of golf. What, what are some of the things that you're passionate about from an interest standpoint? We'll get to family in a second, but uh, it seems to me that a painter or a musician or something would be in your offering because of your creativity. I mean, where does that creativity come from? Well, that's a good question. I don't know where it comes from. It just comes from years of, of, of doing things. Uh, you know, I'm not a musician. I, I do, do not want to hear me sing. You don't want me to do anything, you know, play instruments. Uh, I'm 
my ears don't work well for music. Uh, you know, I, I think artistry for me would be more in basketball. I love basketball. It's, it's, it's my favorite sport, bar, go- bar none, including golf. You know, I love to watch it. I love to be around it. Uh, I, I like to see, you know, the strategies. You know, I'm a, I'm a strategist, so uh, I, I, I enjoy basketball and the playoffs and college ball and everything. It's fantastic. You know, I, I like football a lot, too. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I like sports a lot. Um, but I'm not an artist in that regard. Uh, artistry for me is on the golf course in my head and visualization. But, you know, to put something down on paper, I'm not a good drawer uh, at all. Um, I wish I could. I marvel at people that are good at those things. It's really amazing. Um, but I'm a, I'm a sports kind of guy. Even though you're a California guy through and through, um, I would guess that based on that artistry, you must love watching the San Antonio Spurs play because they play with an art and not necessarily above the rim, even though they are above the rim. But is that kind of what you're speaking to when you talk about artistry? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the, the way the Spurs play, the, the way the Lakers played it back in Showtime, uh, the way Golden State Warriors play now, uh, it's fun to watch. Uh, the, the philosophy of the Spurs, uh, you know, I know some people in the organization and, and I've followed them for a long time now. Uh, you know, I've been friendly with David Robinson over the years and, and to watch Pops do his stuff with the team uh, and, and to see what he does with the pieces that he has. You know, he, he's got some nice pieces, but he's got some guys that nobody's ever heard of, really, and they've come out, and, and he coaches them well. They do what they're supposed to do. They run where they're supposed to go, and, and they run plays the way they're supposed to. They play defense well. Uh, they help each other. And all those little things, you know, add up to championships. And, and it's fun to watch an organization that's run like that, um, you know, from, from, you know, R.C., who's the GM, R.C. Buford, to Pops, to the team, accepting what pops is telling them and and it comes from guys like david and 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 tim duncan as the leaders of the team accepting that and then that just trickles down to the other players and it's fun to see that faith i know that's something that's very important to you and in your life um where do you draw that where does that come from well you know i i i grew up uh, in a jewish family as bar mitzvah and and uh and then i uh converted to christianity in in 91 um, just through do, doing some reading, talking to people, my friends uh, that are out here on tour uh, that are Christians. And it, it just kind of, I gravitated to that uh, just by the way that these other guys are living their lives. And uh, as I went through that whole process, it was very interesting because I'm more analytical when it comes to that stuff. Uh, and I read about it. I learned about it. And, you know, a lot of stuff in the Old Testament relates to the New Testament. And someday, one day it just kind of clicked. And I said, you know, I believe this stuff. Uh, and as far as how it affects me as a person, I, and I think I'm probably a little bit um, mellower, maybe a little more understanding of other people now than I used to be. Uh, <laughs> and maybe more understanding of myself, too. Um, I'm not quite as hard on myself, but I'm pretty, still pretty hard on myself. You know, I want to do the best I can. You know, that's never changed. Um, I'm extremely competitive. That will never change. Um, but it's nice to say, you know, God, take this. You know, I'll do my best through you. And, and it kind of takes a load off my shoulders in a way 
it doesn't change how competitive I am and how upset I am if I don't win. Uh, but in some ways, it's helped helped me be more competitive. I know you're big with family as far as that's concerned, and I know that uh, you have a daughter that's artistic in a certain way with it when it comes to gymnastics. Uh, how much fun is that to see that creativity come out in one of your children? Well, it's it's really cool to watch her. I mean, she's eight now, and, and uh, you know I'll brag on her. She, she would kill me if she heard me say this, but uh, she got a 10 on her floor routine. She was a level three at the time. Uh, now she's four, but she got a 10 on her floor routine, which was unbelievable. I mean, uh, I don't know if you've seen the video. I was videoing it, and, and uh, it's out there. And, and uh, Dad went a little crazy when the 10 came up, uh, so I was very proud of her. Uh, but the one thing that's really interesting is, is she gets this 10. It was her first routine. Uh, she had the other three to go. Uh, and I asked her after the meet, I said, uh, you know, when you got your 10, you didn't look over at, at, at your mom or myself and uh, you didn't raise your arms. You didn't do anything. Um, you know, what were you thinking when you got your 10? Weren't you excited? And she goes, well, yeah, you know, I knew I got a 10, but, but uh, you know, I had to do the vault next. So I was concentrating on the vault. And I went, wow, I never taught her that. You know, I mean, it, that sounds like something that I would do on the golf course. You know, think that, you know, okay, I birdied a hole, I'm in the lead. I have to play the next hole, you know, so it's, it's not a time to get all emotional. But she figured that out all by herself. And, and uh, she said that, and I was just, I just had a big grin on my face. And I thought, wow, that's really cool that, that she just has done that naturally. Uh, so she's got a good head on her shoulder, I think, for, for uh, competing and keeping her emotions in check. Um, and I was really proud of her. I mean, I, it's fun to watch her do her flips and her tumbles and, and all this stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I try when I watch her, uh, not to get too caught up because again, it's something I can't control at that moment. You know, I can help her other times and, and Lisa, my wife and her mom is really good at helping her with the mental side as well. So I don't really say much to her about it. Uh, Lisa's very good at it. Her coaches are good at it. It's not my expertise, gymnastics. So I let them take care of it. And, you know, I can help her in, in other ways, but not physically, you know, in that regard. So it's fun to watch. Uh, I get a big kick out of it, and, and we'll see where it goes. People get a big kick out of watching you play, uh, playing out here on the PGA Tour Champions. Um, Look, it's it's relaxed. It's three days, but it's ultra competitive. And I know that you burn inside to win, and you've won out here before. But I know there's more left on your resume, more to, more to accomplish. Uh, how do you go about managing that passion to do it, and then allowing it to happen? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, you know I, I've had a lot of good tournaments out here, and and as you said, I've only won once, and I'll say only because I expected to win more out here. Um, and, and that's frustrating uh, for me. Uh, you know, I've had plenty of seconds and plenty of thirds. And, uh, you know, bottom line is the guys are really good out here. I mean, they can really play. And, and you know, you come to realize that you're playing against guys that have won a lot of tournaments and, and they know how to win. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard to win out here. Uh, I would like to win more. Uh, it's frustrating. Uh, it's, it's eating away at me a little bit more than maybe it should. But, uh, you know, I'm playing as good now as I ever have. And I think I'm going to start winning here pretty soon. Uh, I'm hitting it better, uh, hitting way more greens, hitting it further, uh, stronger. Uh, my chipping and putting has actually been what's been holding me back the last last two years, uh, and that's starting to get better. So I'm expecting to to come through here pretty soon and 
and, and win. Uh, I'll be disappointed if I don't. Uh, I'd love to get a you know major out here, uh, definitely. Uh, but I better, I just want to win. You know, right now I don't care. I just want to win some tournaments and and get up there and, and certainly get in position to win. Um, you know, I was earlier this year and I didn't finish the way I wanted to in Boca, uh, and that was frustrating. And you know, it's funny. You know, you play this game for, gosh, however long I've been playing it for competitively. You know, almost fifty years, and it seems like you never have a time where you you can't learn something new uh, or relearn something. Uh, you forget about something or whatever it is. Uh, and it's a very interesting game that way. Um, you know, you make a mistake and you think, gosh, you know, what am I doing? Why did I do that? Uh, but you have to sometimes make a mistake to, to do it right uh, eventually. And I'm hoping that's the case uh, right now. All right, here's where we get philosophical. First, we start with uh, food. Um, your goat. Yeah, well, right. it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to wander. Right. Uh, your favorite go-to meal. When you get when you want to indulge and you want to have something that Corey Pavin just I'm this is what I want tonight. Boy, I love food. That's a tough one. Uh, but I'm more of a, a steak kind of guy. So uh, you know, a, a great fillet, uh, rare. Um, I, I, I like my steaks red. Uh, you know, maybe some kind of potato. Probably if if I'm going to be bad, you know, you know, maybe a, an au gratin or something like that. And and I still love my broccoli, even when I, I want to be bad. I love my broccoli, and it's got to be finished up with a piece of cheesecake for dessert. All right. So we have that spread out on the table. Your favorite adult beverage, if you choose. Uh, maybe it's a classic California red or whatever the case might be. And now Corey Pavin gets to invite three people to dinner. It's a closed-door dinner. There's nobody else in there but you and three or maybe even four other people from any walk of life at any point in history, and it's no holds barred. Everybody speaks the truth. It's not getting out there, and you get to pick the brains of three or four people. Who would it be? Boy, you know, no one's ever asked me that. It's always been, who do you want to play golf with? What's your dream foursome? Uh, dream dinner. Wow, that's uh, that's a wild one. Uh, well, I, I think, first of all, I, you know, Jesus, you know, would have to be, you know, the number one guest, somebody has to say the prayer at, at, at dinner. Um, you know, gosh, I, you know, I, I read a lot about different philosophers and, 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 and people like that. Uh, it'd have to be someone that has some incredible quotes over time and, you know, a way to live your life. Uh, maybe, a, you know, maybe Buddha, you know, to have there. Um, I'm sure he speaks English, right? So, you know, someone like that and, wow, a, a, so I have one more to go, huh? You have one or two more to go. I mean, it could be from basketball. It could be from any politics, whatever you want. Well, that's, that's a crazy, crazy question. Uh, wow. You know, I, it, it's funny because I keep thinking Vin Scully. It just keeps coming into my head. Uh, I know Vin pretty well, and uh, he's a great guy to hang around. Uh, and let's just say Vin. Scully, who's a fellow Fordham alum. That's a little out of the box from the other two, but uh, I think it'd be interesting. Jesus, Buddha, and Vin Scully. That's a a very interesting collection, but uh, it would be fascinating. You would have someone to say the prayer. Have someone to say the prayer, and we could talk, you know, baseball as well, and, you know, and and talk about Eastern philosophy as well. I'm surprised you didn't throw a hoops guy in there. You know, I I know a lot of hoops guys, uh, you know, so it's... I've been around him, uh, and so, I mean, that's fun. You know, I've been around a lot of people. You know, that's the great thing about what 
what I've done for a living is I've met so many people, uh, you know, politicians, sports guys, movie stars, TV stars, uh, CEOs. I mean, you just name it. It's, it's a very interesting group of people that I've been blessed to hang around with. Um, a very interesting group, you know, and, and the sports figures have always been ones that I've, I seem to have a bond with. I mean, I think there's that natural uh, inclination to go to somebody that is in, in sports world and, and they kind of understand the lifestyle that we have and, and things that, that uh, we are lucky enough to go through. Uh, some are difficult and, and some are fun. And so there's that bond there. So it's always fun to hang around other sports figures, no matter who they are. I mean, uh, I've, had, I've hung around Reggie Jackson, who wasn't my favorite player watching because he beat, beat my Dodgers all the time. Uh, but when I got to know him, uh, and this is well after his baseball life, really interesting guy. I mean, I was really surprised because, uh, you know, everything you read about him, you know, he's very antagonistic, you know, as a player. Um, but certainly as a, a person that I've met him, he's a wonderful man, uh, does a lot for charity, uh, very generous with his time and, and his comments as well. Well, I hope people also feel like they got to know you a little bit better by you sitting with us. And uh, he's the 1995 U.S. Open champion and a proud member of the PGA Tour champions. Corey Pavin, we appreciate the time. Uh, it's been a pleasure doing this. Uh, we'll have to do it again. We definitely will. Corey Pavin joining us here on the Papa Cast, the Golf Cast.